I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Oma Lort, a podcast where we discuss Chicago stories you didn't learn in school. My name is Alyssa, and I am joined today by my friend John Zinn. How are you doing, John? I'm doing. I'm out in the world hustling. Hustling. That's it. The hustle culture. Yes. Yes. Grinding and hustling. Grinding and hustling. Yes, that's me. That's totally me, too. Have you just off the top? Have you watched any of the videos of all the people like dumping out their Bud Light? Oh, yes. yes. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> I watched the one with Kid Rock was like, God, are you kidding me? <laughs> I saw something about it on Twitter. Like I might have like I just I screwed. I don't normally scroll by anything that's Kid Rock related. And other people are posting about it. And finally, I'm like, I Google and see what the hell is going on. And I'm like, are you, yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, and now they're- yeah. when I first read about it, I'm like, oh, are they doing like a whole new, a whole series of cans, LGBT cans? But it's just one can that they made for one person. <laughs> and a lot of them are going to Coors Light. And guess who sponsors Denver's Pride? Oh, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Also, Enbev, who owns Anheuser-Busch, owns like all the other beers in the world. Exactly. <laughs> that said, I'm going to keep up my, my boycott of Bud Light just on principle. Just because of flavor or? Yeah, flavor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like hops and flavor. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what? If anything, do you know about a pleasant pairing of people called the Know Nothing Party? The Know Nothing Party. I know nothing about the Know Nothing Party. Most people, I don't think, do. We learned about it in school, but it's probably one of those things we forgot. I'm going to be overly simplistic in how I explain them. Okay. Because it's complicated. So prior to the mid-1850s, they were known as the Native American Party. And no, not that kind of Native American. Now we would call them second or third generation Americans. Okay. Yeah. They were presumably kids of immigrants, but they were born here and therefore superior. I'm using air quotes on superior. And as they became more attractive amongst extremists, they assumed the name the American Party. When you infuse anti-immigrant inclinations with religious intolerance, in this case, anti-Roman Catholic bigotry, you end up with an American first group 
of people participating in politics. In the mid-19th century, when people were asked about their nativist and anti-immigrant views, the answer was that they, quote-unquote, knew nothing, hence the nickname. Yes, Abraham Lincoln was a big hater of the Know Nothing Party. I guess our modern variation of this, in my opinion, is the just asking questions crew, the ilk that brought us birtherism, a Muslim ban, and COVID is a hoax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This whole event, when I first heard about it, I'm like, this is so crazy. In 1855, a physician in Chicago named Levy Boone ran for mayor on an anti-immigrant pro-temperance platform. Anti-immigrant, pro-temperance, got it. Yes, yes. So he's anti-immigrant and he's not necessarily a teetotaler, but he was, he wanted those votes. So during his one year in office, he reformed the police department by banning any migrants from municipal employment. Oh my God. Yeah, great guy. Great guy. Next question. When I say white people, what nationalities come to mind immediately? I was just going to ask, like, what the background, the heritage of these folks were. I assume they're European Americans. They're as second or third generation European Americans. They're immigrants. They're immigrants. They could be second or third generation. But really, just you're right. Proving that race is a social construct. Irish and Germans were not considered white. That part I do remember. Yes. I forgot that part. And full disclosure, and I really, I haven't done research exclusively on said subject, but as best I can tell, the rift rests more between Protestants and Catholics, coupled with them being immigrants and they sustained their homeland traditions, including in the case of the Germans, beer gardens. So they brought whatever their distrust of other cultures and ethnicities over there, brought that and set that all up for us over here. Yeah. 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 Donkey Shane. It's great. And the <laughs> Germans have done a lot of research into food. The Germans have brought us encased meat and beer, <laughs> which you find at baseball. And is there anything more American than baseball? Yeah. Amy, so what? I know there's less of a cultural imprint these days, but man, especially when I first moved to Chicago, going into that one little street on Lincoln Square, you really thought you were in Munich for a minute. Yes, it's not quite the same anymore, but yeah, it's really cool. Now, with our early Germans and our early Irish, people asserted that as Catholics, that their loyalty to the Pope made them somehow un-American because of a quote-unquote dual loyalty. To America and to the Pope? Yep. Which was in conflict by, in some opinion, okay. Yeah, this actually still lasted well into the 20th century. People were concerned about JFK's Catholicism that it would eclipse his oath right. to the Constitution. Yeah, I remember an incident, it was a decade ago, about a Muslim judge. Yeah. In America, it's always been, not that this is our topic, but it's not really freedom of religion. It's freedom of some religions. Yeah, it's freedom of some religions. Mm-hmm. And back then, it was the Catholics. Yep. And then obviously became very virulent anti-Muslim streak in the U.S. for a while. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure other, I, those seem like the big ones, I'm sure, but I'm sure other religions have felt it somehow there's also dual loyalty when it comes to jewish people in israel you hear bantered around a lot yeah the most blatant is against catholics and then muslims yeah i was watching some sitcoms of 90s sitcoms the other day and this one woman who was dating one of the guys was a buddhist and the whole episode was just people making fun of it and making buddhist jokes and mocking her Oh, are you, a, do I don't want to bug you. Are you meditating? It was, I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> there are shows that just did not age well. Yes. 
back to being boozy, temperance movement at the time was gaining traction. And in fact, if we hadn't gone into the Civil War, prohibition would have happened sooner. Abraham Lincoln was ready for prohibition, but he knew there was going to be a civil war and they couldn't double whammy us with that. Interesting. It's very interesting. But then you think about the Spanish flu was during prohibition and those people had to go through a pandemic and prohibition. One thing we learned that got us through the pandemic was booze. Yeah. (laughs) Fortunately, it's just true. Thinking about, it's so funny to think about any like temperance movement gaining traction in Chicago, because I remember when you, I know not every place is boozy, but when you would would go to work, when we were going to our office downtown, when we worked downtown on St. Patrick's Day, I remember getting off the L at 8.30 a.m., bars full, Uh people drunk, running around all over. Oh, yeah. I work on the river so i have to work the river dying oh yeah How and it's it, to quote one of my coworkers, it's like trying to manage the drunkest people in the drunkest city in the in the world yeah it's right right it's it, chicago is a boo- boozy town so yeah. it's really hard to ultimately spoiler alert it never really took control and took hold in chicago i was just gonna ask that i can't imagine that it really worked in any unified way that's why we had al capone and the more i learn it was also like the time of some of the most corrupt polit aldermen in the history of chicago so the whole thing was just corrupt and they just did business as usual and didn't didn't those aldermen need the back rooms of bars to make their deals yes they totally needed the back rooms of bars to make their deals (laughs) yeah But it was gaining traction. It was even a big thing in the 1893 World Fair. Boone himself was not a teetotaler, but he was sympathetic with the movement for reasons that will be evident soon. I just really want to emphasize this again. Chicago has always been a drinking town. Our first homestead had 66 inhabitants and three pubs. Excellent ratio. <laughs> it's on point for the ratio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Under Boone, the city council increased costs of beer licenses, so the license to sell beer, from $50 to $300 and limited them to three-month periods. Say it, it, the license, the liquor license was good for three months. The beer license. Beer license. Okay. Beer is key here. Got it. And an exponential increase, it doesn't sound like that much. But by 2023 standards, we're talking about going from $1,705 to $10,234. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's punitive. Yeah. Worse yet, he attempted to enforce an old and overlooked ordinance outlawing the sale of beer on Sunday. Uh, I feel like I've heard of that in other places, too, that other places have have had that rule. Ottawa County, Michigan, for a while, it was illegal to sell beer beer and wine on Sundays, but they didn't write anything about liquor. Out here in Oregon, the liquor, there's, you have to buy it from liquor stores. There's none in grocery stores or anything. And uh, I think it's only been within the last 20 years that they've been able to be open on Sundays. It for sure used to not be that way. Interesting. I associate that with a more conservative. Yeah. It's weird. Right. Yeah. Washington state had these laws that were, they were overturned by, I can't remember who overturned them by somebody who had really been impacted because his parents owned a liquor store during prohibition and they overturned them. But university of Washington, the UW campus, they didn't realize this. 
it was a dry campus until like 2004. Yeah, 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 there's a dry campus in Oregon still. Now, does Chicago have the law that, or is that just out here? Does Chicago have the law that if you sell booze, you have to also sell food? Do you know? I don't know. I feel like they did in the way a bunch of places got around it is that they would sell bags of potato chips. See, we have food. Yeah. It's all different now. I don't think you have had to, but it was also then different during the pandemic because there were places it could be open if you sold. I can't, I didn't pay attention to it because I wasn't here for it, but it was really confusing on the ways people were, and creative, the ways they were working to get bars and restaurants back up and open. Yeah. I still, I remember, this is totally reminding me of me walking down the streets of Andersonville with my friend David, maybe like eight years ago or something like that. And this tourist walks up to us and they're like, are there any like dive bars in Andersonville? And David goes, yeah, there's not very many, only seven or eight. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, for Chicago, that's like a small amount. And it's funny because so during COVID, they stopped selling alcohol at nine o'clock. And which you just got used to. And then after that, about two years ago, almost, they made it illegal to buy alcohol in stores like the 7-Eleven or liquor stores after midnight. I feel bad having to tell people like on the street, yeah, you, you got to go to a bar. <laughs> yeah. So. Chicago created and consumed absurd amounts of ale. And the Germans were both the primary purchasers and purveyors. Yes, not shocking. But as one historian says, to the German and Irish immigrants, drinking beer on Sundays was an orderly and habitual way to spend their one day off. Yet, on a deeper level, this clash over drinking marked the opening salvo in a struggle over how the new class of wage workers would spend their time. Yeah, that was an interesting take. I've known this story for a couple of years now. I go into a much lighter version on my tour, but I didn't ever see the class element to it until I started researching it. It's very interesting because it is elitist and narcissistic to assume that everybody has time to go to church on Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. And you can cordon off their work week into Monday through Friday or whatever. But if you're lower income, you have to work as much as you can get it. And you take your one day off to take a day off. Yeah. The thought also that the ruling class, for lack of a better word, has the right to tell someone how they spend their time off. Yes, exactly. But <laughs> literally, they want to. In Chicago, that we want, where I'm going to tell you what neighborhoods you can live in because I don't want you in mine. I'm going to tell you what you can do on your time off because I don't want to see you. It's right. Like, yeah. It's <laughs> just, it's trash. it's trash. I read about a guy who worked at a hotel and he left, work was off on his time off went to a bar by his college and saw some guests from the hotel and they complained that he was drinking on his time off jeez <laughs> people yeah this rightfully the germans viewed the ban as an assault on their old world values as well as controlling the working class as we discussed i get it yep i get it and I just, yeah, it's just the whole thing is appalling. And it's mm -hmm. also, as we've pointed out, not really a quaint 1855 idea. Back to being boozy. Shockingly, nothing changed. Saloons sneakily stayed open, and subsequently, 200 Germans were apprehended for licensing and operating violations. They did things like put pint glasses in the window it was really a trial run at prohibition 
especially targeting the Germans. Yes, particularly. It sounds, right. It sounds exactly like some of the stuff that went on when they were targeting the gay bars Ron, to make to close them down. Yeah. Yeah. There's Germans. So on April 21st, 1855, a day bar keeps quote unquote decided to unite for defense and resistance and contributed toward a common fund and council to represent all. So all the Germans decided to band together for defense and resistance and they got legal funds, it sounds like. It's like the first little neighborhood chamber of commerce. It's like the first little first. Yeah. The first trade association of yeah, yeah. German bartenders and owners. Yeah. yeah. In addition to drinking, we are known for some really epic protests. We've got Pullman, Haymarket, 18, 1968 DNC. Yep. But John, I have a favorite. Okay, bring it. <laughs> it is Chicago's very first incidents of civil unrest. Okay. In 1855 lager beer riots. Of course. <laughs> it's not the same as the Bud Light protest, but I was like, how perfect right. that this is happening. <laughs> and it, like it is targeting communities. So in a weird way. It's a civil rights thing. Not exactly. Not in the way that other people who are really being persecuted would fight back. But in a weird way, it is that same process. Yeah, it's the it's the protest. It is a protest. And it's the way we just respond to protest now is we either make fun of it or we don't want to deal with it. I mean, we I'm talking about the whole country, not one group or another, because I'm also watching videos of the kids in Tennessee protesting. Mm. The kids are all right. Yeah. Yeah. The, that, visibi that visibility is it's so valuable. It's like me and my friend were talking not too long ago about people who, somebody we spoke to in a bar who was not drinking stoli as a protest against Putin's invasion of the Ukraine. And so the bartender, I can't remember what the story was. He's, yeah, that's not going to get back to Putin, just so you know. Stoli has shares in other countries. They're very <laughs> civil rights friendly and they don't agree with him. So that isn't exactly how that works. Yeah. I did read about people protesting vodka and I'm like, I don't think that's going to make a difference. And plus yeah. it's already been made. It's already here. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Irate immigrants invaded downtown Chicago, clashing with cops outside of the courthouse. So the courthouse is where City Hall and the courthouse have always been where it's been. Okay. And I don't think they were expecting them because it is our first protest. But to gain control of the situation, Boone ordered the Clark Street Bridge to be opened to deny protesters access to what we now call the loop. So... They opened the bridge to keep protesters from accessing the loop. Same shit happened in 2020. Uh, uh. Yeah. Mm. So fun fact, though, in Chicago. So now we have what's the what's known as the Bascule Trunnion Bridge. It's the bridge that lifts in the center. Okay. But in Chicago back then, we utilized what are called swing bridges, which instead of lifting vertically, they rotate horizontally, mm. which enabled the city to leave these German protesting immigrants trapped in the middle of the river while the cops organized. Oh, that's crazy. Yes. They were actually on the bridge and they, they were on it. Yes. Bear in mind, you also now just have a bunch of protesting Germans like they're not floating in the river because they're obviously grounded to something by a screw. But yeah, they're just there. And in an article called It Seems Like Yesterday, written by friend of the pod, Mike Royko, he describes it this way. The police ordered them back, pushing and shoving. The demonstrators fell back down Clark Street and across the bridge. It appeared momentarily 
that this would end the demonstrations, but the crowd began to swell. Members of another minority group began joining in. People began shouting about discrimination. Some talked about job discrimination. They had lost their jobs because of what they were, or they couldn't get jobs. Others talked about economic reprisals and bad news. They were second-class citizens, and they didn't like it. Mike Greco really describes what's happening here. And what happens is the Irish witness the German people, and they're like, wait, we're getting fucked over too. Mm-hmm. By the way, those two groups also didn't like each other. Yeah, but so they joined the riot. So ultimately, they let the people back into, they opened the bridge back up and they went and they rioted at City Hall. And a police officer was shot by a German protester who was then killed. And news spread that others died, but that was never corroborated. Could conceivably be credited to the fact that they had a fucking loaded cannon in the public square. Oh, well. <laughs> Chicago is wild, man. And I think, you know, that the loaded cannon and just the fact that human beings are prone to exaggeration and propagating lies. Right. And this is an era where very little is verifiable. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I love reading some of the newspaper articles from that era. They're so dramatic. Oh, Mike, I didn't for this one, but I did for a story that I was doing in the late 1800s, a couple of them. They're so dramatic, and they're written like a really small-town weekly newspaper that comes out for free. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I I have an article from the 18, I think it's the 1860s in Colorado, where my great-grandfather was killed in a bar fight. It tells the story of the fight and tempers flare and fists swung wildly as people dived under tape. It's just so dramatic. It's oh, it's so dramatic. And then there was one that I was trying to follow and it doesn't give you any background on the story. You can't get one that brings you up to date and then there's a trial. Like you've got to read all like, the not, It has no elements of news in it. It's just, <laughs> it's just like all these adjectives. <laughs> The first episode that I did was on a guy named Mickey Finn. And there was an extra, Mickey Finn has died. And that's all it said. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, the news is... So what was the aftermath? The city council voted to reduce the cost of licenses from 300 to 100, which is still $3,411 by today's standards. Yeah. This fee was still hella punitive. And I feel like any pub owners who could pay it were baller. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I couldn't find current cost for Chicago only because there's so many different types of liquor license, like the one you mentioned, can liquor without a restaurant, theater. There's so many different types you can get. Performance, yeah. And then the one like that it's different if if the building you want to put your bar in previously had a liquor license or it didn't. It's two. I remember that being two different things. Yeah, Why does that matter? But it, yeah. <laughs> Because I don't want to have too many bars in Chicago. You can't give new liquor licenses out. A minimum 10 dive bars in each neighborhood. There were more in the 60s. Yeah. And they got rid of a lot of them because of racism. But this looks like the state of Illinois, their fee for one year is $750. Oh. Yeah. So I don't think they're charging people. Three thousand. It is the city of Chicago. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. What goes along with that? Who knows? Probably totally depending on the bar too. Yeah, totally depending on the bar and the neighborhood. And yeah, I remember going into. I walked up to Rogers Park from Andersonville. It was a super nice day, and then on my way back, I went into this dive bar called the Double Bubble. Ooh, do you remember that on Broadway? I don't. It's in Uptown. And a total dive. And I just sat at the bar and ordered a beer. And everybody looked at me when I came in, but I'm like, I know it's your corner bar. I get it. And I'm, I've never been here. So I just sat to myself, ordered a beer. And after a few minutes, the bartender comes up and he goes, This is a cop bar, right? <laughs> I'm like, No, what, is, what does that mean? He's, I just wanted you to know this is a cop bar. And so I looked around and like, okay, these guys are probably all cops, but I wasn't going to, what was I going to do with that information that they didn't want non-cops in there? I don't know. There's so many ways you could go with that. That's just weird. Just weird. Related to that. I remember I got lost trying to find big chicks one day Uh and I ended up at the bathhouse do you like, know which one? I, what's the on, name of it? On Clark or? Yes, the one on Clark. Man something. Man's Country? Manham. Man's and Country. Like, man, I can't remember what it was. So Man's Country. And I got lost and I saw a gay pride flag and I'm like, I'll just go in there and ask where Big Chicks is. Okay. And I go in and I get a little weird vibe. Like, <laughs> I get a little weird vibe. They give me directions to Big Chicks. But then they... For anybody listening, Big Chicks is a really cool gay bar that plays like, it's a divey gay bar that plays new wave music and utterly unthreatening. Yeah, and very th- friendly, very friendly atmosphere. Yeah. And they look at me and they're like, be careful. There are weird people there. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I make it to Big Chicks and I'm with some friends and I'm telling them about the story and all of a sudden they just look at me and they're like, you went into a bathhouse to ask for directions. And yeah, it was one of those stories that I told my mom. My mom was like, only yeah. you can inadvertently go into a bathhouse. <laughs> yeah. That's um, like my friend. That's like my friend in New York who lived in, he lived in New York in Alphabet City in the super dicey times. And the only ATM anywhere near his apartment was in a porn shop. So <laughs> He's like, but he would see all of his neighbors going in and out of the porn shop to just to get the, and he knew that they weren't buying porn. It was just to get the ATM be like, hi, Sally. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> That's like the best CD. 
Oh, so just I'm remembering this now. As long as we're going to, they can listen. We'll hopefully they'll laugh at our stories. But my first podcast that I did, we go into a whole thing about pickpocketing. And I'm like, yeah, twice. And the first time was with you. I was going to say, I feel like I remember some story. When was it? I think it was between Christmas and New Year, our first year working downtown. And we decided to go to, it, it wasn't even a bar. It was a sandwich shop that sold booze. Okay. That had a bar. It was Cozy's. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. No, no I don't think he stole my car. I think I had cash. And the, we knew when I went to get my money and it wasn't there, like we knew exactly who did it. But it was like the guy had no finesse as a pickpocket. We were just not paying attention. We were jabbering and not paying attention. And then you noticed it. Yes, this is coming back to me. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas my second time, I was at Corcoran's and these people were professionals. Mm. And they came in, they came out. Amory looked at me and she's just, you need to check your wallet. And it was gone. And I can see when other people do it. Two days after recording that episode, I read that there was a band of pickpockets in puffy coats. They were called the Puffy Coat Bandits. This was this year. And they were pickpocketing people in Old Town and River North. And one of the quotes was from the owner of Corcoran's who had been pickpocketed. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because people are like, who still pickpockets? I'm like, in Chicago, apparently it's a thing. Yeah. I miss Corcoran's, though. <laughs> they have a few stories about that place, for sure. <laughs> oh, yes. I haven't been there in so long. Really? Yeah, well, I'm in Lakeview now. Yeah, it, gotcha. It's a bit of a track, but... I still remember it was on a St. Patrick's Day, and I went there with a bunch of actors. I'm sorry. <laughs> a bunch of actors. And, so they're playing Irish music. And the actors of, are drunk, of course, and getting up and, and stumbly river dancing. And thinking it's really funny until the bartender shuts down the music and is no more fake river dancing. And then we all kind of just slumped back to our, our chairs. Buzzkill. Yeah. Buzzkill. I have so many stories about Corcoran's because, you know, I spent a majority of time there for several years. It was your, yeah, it was your neighborhood joint. You th- did you lived over by there, right? I lived at North and South. Yes. Yes. All right. Back to okay. our protest. So they have the 1855 Lager Beer Riot. Most protesters were not charged. And obviously the underlying issues were not really resolved because fishing happened. Which I'm just, and obviously this is. What I'm going to say is obvious, but it just sort of struck me. We had prohibition because of racism. And yeah. I mean, that it sounds like that was that's a part of it. That's definitely a part of it. But because of also, there was no thinking about this history you're telling me, there's no there's no business reason for it. It's there's like racism and religious. Yes. Hypocrisy, right? There's no like governmental, civic, or business reason for doing that. Right. The government reason could just be Chicago was a little out of control by the end of the 1800s, early 1900s in the drinking. So if you're saying that, but like violence and mayhem caused by drinking, that that's what they're trying to curb. Yeah, I get that. But I've never really watched the Ken Burns documentary. very interesting yeah i just didn't see that component that it really just is a component of telling people how they're supposed to live i don't think every town was as fucking out of control as chicago was yeah i don't think the whole country was that way yeah so to make it national it is like it was yeah it was questions of religion and racism One of the things that I love when I talk about old Chicago is when I watch people clutching their pearls about how in decay society was. There was a time when our jury pool was picked up from saloons. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
it was a much more savage time is what I'll say. So yeah, it was racism and religion and that worked out well. Yeah. A lucky thing. We've eradicated both of those issues now. Like yes. they're totally gone. And we can't, we can't see what's happening with say drag story hours. Yeah. And that, that happening. It's not racism. It's, homophobia but it's the same it's it's these, yeah these people trying to legislate morality just exhausting it it's really exhausting and here's the other thing i'm just gonna for a minute listeners this is important listen the worst thing that's gonna happen if you take your kid to most drag shows is they're going to learn ethel merman songs now i don't know what people think happens at drag shows but here's the unintended consequence of banning drag shows. And it's playing out in Florida right now. One legislator asked another legislator if Rocky Horror, if someone wanted to do the Rocky Horror picture show, would that be illegal? And first of all, the legislator's a fucking idiot and said, that's a movie. But they would make hair and Rocky Horror Picture Show and Kinky Boots and a whole lot of other musicals, either 18 and over or illegal. So it's not just the drag queen story hours. They're coming for your Broadway musicals too. They're coming for maybe you have a school that has a theater program, but like all of them, there's way more girls than there are guys. Illegal. Yeah, I was listening to one in support of that local legislature and they the reported was really good asking questions along this line and said something like what about mrs doubtfire and he did say it's a movie and she's no it's also a show and he's like, that's different and i'm like that's the key it's not about drag it's about it's it's about marginalizing lgbt especially t people yes and here's the i know why but drag specifically is ridiculous because it's been around Forever. I mean, at least, uh, yeah, exactly. And these people who grew up in the 50s, they, they, you watched Uncle Milty in a dress all the time, right? <laughs> oh, somebody did yeah. find a picture of Kid Rock with a drag queen. Oh, amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, think about it, kids. Are you kidding me? A, a big, boisterous personality telling jokes in a big flamboyant costume, that's just what kids like. Right. There's a reason why we had drag Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And or, drag is just like any other performance, like stand-up comedians. There's ones that go skew more adult and ones that are family safe. So. Yeah. People don't know what goes. They make up a lot of stuff that goes on at drag shows. Or at least. They have an imagination about what goes on at drag shows. And there's no talking. There's one I want to say out in Aurora. And the Proud Boys were going to protest her. And she, they offered to talk to the Proud Boys and explain to them what they do. But they don't want to know. It's a will, willful ignorance. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. If they just, because if they knew and if it, if the correct information really got out there, then it would be much harder for them to persecute these marginalized communities it would be much harder if they realize that it's just jokes and fun and carol channing songs yes the reason i pay attention to it is because it's a slippery i hate to say that phrase but it's a slippery slope of what's next and that's how just like you were saying about rocky horror it just starts creeping and creeping and yeah arkansas they sound they, they were gonna make drag illegal in public places but then they just made it that you can't like show fake or real boobs or penises, which I'm pretty sure was probably already illegal in Arkansas, but they saw the economic impact of just straight up making drag Ill illegal. Yeah. Yeah. It's another thing where there's no business reason for it. There's no governmental reason for it. Um, not at all. No. Yeah. It's fake just morality. Fake yeah. morality. Because there's nothing inherently immoral about a drag queen. No. No. Yeah. It's a, it's a, like I said, it's the spectrum and there's, it's just, I equate it to like stand-up comedians. There are left-wing, right-wing, 
family-friendly, trash-talking, R-rated comedians. There's every variety. That's probably where they'll go next. Who knows? <sighs> yeah. And then there's also, I look at it in the, obviously in the theater background, is it's also taking away, if my parents wanted to take me to go see hair when I was 12, that would be their prerogative as a parent. But now that would be taken away from them. Yeah. And I feel like my sister might have seen hair when she was close to 12. Because <laughs> I worked on a show when I was 20. So, yeah, she would have been 12. But, uh, yeah, okay, we've digressed. But right. I think it was a good conversation because... While I was writing this, I was following the protests at the in Atlanta of the facility known as Cop City. Okay. Which is a really large training facility for cops. They're going to destroy a forest. Okay. Oh, and yes. Yeah. And, and I wrote this. I wrote this during the state shooting, but it says students are demanding gun reform. Just a different set of students. Yeah, we're dealing with all sorts of protests. And you and I, we made fun of the Bud Light protests a little bit, but we're dealing with a lot of protests right now. And I think it was we went through many years where we were lax or more. I don't know. We, we weren't protesting as often. But now this Royko article that I mentioned Royko wrote it very interestingly in the 60s. He wrote about the 1855 Lager Beer Riot in 68. And he wrote it like it had just happened. Because that was a tumultuous time. And then he said, no, you didn't miss something in the news. This happened in 1855. So he was really drawing it out and was... Did you ever read Ryko? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning syndicated columnist who died in the 90s, I think. He's the voice of Chicago, really. And he really understood the city. So he yeah. wrote, he understood the city and held Mayor Daly, Mayor Jay Daly, accountable in the newspaper. Died, it, what? Died, it died April 1997. Just look okay. it up. Yeah. Thank you. I, I did look it up. Yeah. He and he's the way that a lot of people learned about Chicago because he was syndicated. He's the way my parents know who the aldermen were because he made fun of the aldermen. And he also always talked about the dive bars in the city of Chicago. So he wrote after the demonstration and rioting, Boone who did not seek re-election in 1856, and the city administration softened some of their policies. And, as everyone knows, persons of German descent may now drink beer in Chicago, and several Irishmen have been known to hold jobs on the police force. I tell this story to benefit those who keep wondering what this world is coming to when minority groups start marching in the street to protest discrimination. Okay. Love that. <laughs> Great conclusion. And it's it's what moves the status quo. Protest is supposed to be disruptive. It's, yeah. No, you go ahead. It's that quote you just read is, oh my God, so familiar from the Black Lives Matter protests. People who equate those protests with the violence that would happen around it from Proud Boys and all of that stuff and calling it, and just by changing the words, calling it from, instead of calling it a protest, calling it a riot, that's right. That's like, in, that's sprinkling a moral judgment over it too. It's sprinkling a moral judgment over it. It's saying that they, sh even I want to say that I think that the majority of Americans are like Black Lives Do Matter. Like they do and understood. I remember when my mom, I was with my parents for COVID and my mom and dad and I watched the video 
And my mom said about Derek Chauvin, she's like, he's going to start a race riot and he deserves it or something along the lines. Like she called it when there were going to be protests. And I think for some ilk of people, and I followed a lot of who, who did what, who got arrested for what, I was unemployed, what else did I have to do? But for some people, it was directly threatening that minorities and people of color were all banding together to not just is Black Lives Matter, but it's also just pre- police brutality, police abuse. And it's rocking the status quo. And people are, some people are really vested in keeping the status quo. Yeah. And it's just making me think of the Chicago segregation question that we were talking about earlier. It's, I th- it's almost like part of it is BLM, it, BLM gatherings, whether they're, even if they're completely non-violent, it's like folks going into neighborhoods where they usually aren't right? Mm-hmm. People getting nervous about seeing them in their neighborhood. Just the pure fact of seeing somebody different in my neighborhood. Yes. Or <clears throat> seeing people in your downtown area who you don't think should be there. In on mass. Yep. Seeing people walking the streets and you don't think they should be there is what it was like this is my neighborhood i don't because i'm not gonna lie chicago is a really still very segregated city it's getting better and there have been demographic shifts i think also for george floyd blm that it had a lot of people and had also brianna taylor and ahmed aubrey and it was a lot of people had a look at i know for myself I had to look at a lot of things that I, through my privilege, take for granted. Okay. Yeah. I remember one example was getting a bag when you go to the grocery store. So, you know, I go to the grocery store, I get a white claw, little six pack, and they're like, you need a bag? And I'm like, I'm just going to walk out with the white claw. Like, I don't even take the receipt. It would never occur to me that I would need two of those things because someone is going to ask me if I'm shoplifting. Yeah. It was just little things like that. I think it was just that and COVID and you, it was a lot of things convening. But then there's also just a class of people who do not want things to change. In fact, not only do they not want it to change, I saw an interview with one wackadoodle. He wants to go back pre-civil rights era. Yeah. No. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. We're not. When Roe v. Wade was overturned, it's horrible. It's not good, in my opinion. And, but I was like, this is the line in the sand. I'm not willing to see us go back any further. Yeah. And these, as with many appalling civil rights abuses, like Roe v. Wade being overturned, it's just going to galvanize and organize the opposition. And it's just going to bring in more people, maybe mm-hmm. in the middle of the road about helping out. It's just going to galvanize them. It'll take a minute, but we're, we're not going back. We're not going back. And here's the thing. And I, my, it's been funny to see. The kids are never, ever going to vote Republican again. That would be so nice. The Zoomers, especially if you take away their TikTok, man. Oh, yeah, that'll be something. Yeah. But did you see what they did in Wisconsin? No. What? So there was a Supreme Court justice for the state of Wisconsin. And they showed really inspiring pictures of them on University of Wisconsin, Madison, like just standing in line to vote. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think the 24 to something, whatever, I don't know what the age group, also had a huge voting problem here in Chicago. Yeah. So, yeah, the kids are the kids are not going to let it happen, but we're not going back. We will galvanize much like the Irish and the Germans. But, yeah, it's it's an interesting story because on one hand, you have the funny event of they're rioting in Chicago for beer. 
Because of course they would. And then you look at it and you pull apart all of the disgusting idea of how people, the working class, should spend their time, which actually isn't that different than bringing it all back, drag queens. It's saying, I don't think this is an acceptable expenditure of your time. No one's making them go to drag shows. Exactly. Yeah. These folks who shall not be named, but one was interviewed on 60 Minutes the other night, right-wingers who keep trying to drag society back. It's just, it's not going to work. You're going to get some successes in the short term. It's not going to work. Remember at the end of Angels in America, the world only spins forward. Thank you, (laughs) Mr. Kushner. It's true. It only spins forward. And the ideas are so unpopular with, I'm not even talking liberals or centrists. These are unpopular. Women not being able to vote is a genuinely unpopular idea, I think, for most conservative women. I think overturning gay marriage is a profoundly unpopular idea for most of society now, which is why I think we're seeing the other bigotry is because gay marriage has become so accepted that it's not, it's not acceptable to say to someone that, I mean, they say it, but most people are like, I don't care if my neighbors are married and they're lesbians. Like, it doesn't affect me. And right, which greater visibility, people learn about it, realize it's not scary. They're just people. And then they get off whatever their fear-based were listening to the BS. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I listened to a really long podcast about Joseph Mengele. and. One of the things that they brought up was in Germany that everybody could say, oh, I know one good Jewish person because they had the exposure. So they knew that they would never get it would never become popular enough or have sign off enough because there'd always be an exception, which. Is. The more exposure you have, the less acceptable these bigoted, hateful, fascistic ideas become. Is there, not to change the topic too much, but is there still a large population of German descent in Chicago? There's still a decent-sized Irish-American population. Yeah, there's still a decent-sized Irish-American, Polish-American. I'm pretty sure there's still a decent-sized German-American. And I I think Polish is number one, right? I think so. It used to be anyway, yeah. Yeah, there's Polish. I haven't actually looked at the demographics in a while. I should do that. But yeah. That would be interesting to see what it is like now. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's a big Irish. Fun fact. Ohio has the largest Ukrainian population in the country. Well, interesting. Yeah. Migration patterns are interesting and where people landed when they came here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. Because it was... They, they usually came here because there was a famine in their country and then they stayed with other family members. And so it's just interesting how you ended up with pockets of Germans, Irish, Polish in, in Chicago. I don't feel like we have as many really just English or French people. There's definitely not a, like you have so many neighborhoods. There's not really like a French neighborhood. No. Yeah. And those were the people that were causing the problems of the teetotaling and, and the bigotry, the racism. Phew. I hope you had fun. Yeah, I did. And now I just have this picture of all those people on the bridge in the middle of the river. It's so wild. Chicago's so crazy. Chicago's, oh, I forgot to tell you. So I learned about this story on a podcast called The Windy City Historians. And it was an interview with a historian who looks at history through the lens of alcohol. Like that's her focus. And which is a good city to do it in. And she did the, there was a Bruiseum exhibit at the Field Museum on the history of beer in Chicago. And it had a video. And the video was narrated by Michael Shannon. 
<laughs> of course it was. Because she was a regular at the Old Town Ale House. The Old Town Ale House, I was just going to say. That had to have been where she met him. Somebody asked her, like, how'd you get Michael Shannon? She says, you got to go to your local bar more. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a perfect tie-in. Yeah, Chicago's fascinating. And do you want do you want to tell people where they can find you on the interwebs? Yeah, it's the best place is probably Instagram. John's in on Instagram. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a five-star review. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.